thing with closure. I'm like, uh, however bad this is, I at least need to see it through. If you're getting raped, you at least want them to finish, right? right yeah, you know what? We might as well you know, go all the way here. We're already in this predicament. Radio I am a time burglar, and I am here to take your Thursday night from you. This is Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil Crotey Robot. I have risen. I hope that's not a euphemism, since you're going to be doing the Adam <laughs> promo. And this week, Alex will not be joining us because he is bent over a toilet. And no, that's not a gay joke. He has the flu, we think. He is very sick, so he is literally bent over a toilet right now. So in his stead, we scrounged the depths of the internet because Eric Morse was not available. We got Mike White. <laughs> wow, that's quite an intro. Thank you very much. It's it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so Cecil, Adam and Eve it. Uh, if you would go to the uh, website of adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME, you'll get 50% off a single item, free shipping in the U.S., and three free DVDs and a free mystery gift. There's a lot of ands in there. That's because you were really anding that up. Yeah, I kind of anded that whole thing up in the corner. See, Mike's at least smart how he does it on Projection Booth. He just tapes one and plugs it in and post. And then people Can I do just that? quote from it. No, you can't do that, Cecil. I like the live wow. feel. That's why I have it written down here. You cheater. Josh is <laughs> a very big Paul Harvey fan. He's trying to work it into conversation. That's the kind of true values you get. Like those true values at True Value Hardware Store. Mike, give us yes. the rest of the story. <laughs> Tonight we're going to be talking about when franchises go bad. When, when a franchise starts strong... And then for whatever reason, after it starts to suck, it just keeps going and rarely gets any better. I mean, yeah, like even with the Friday the 13th franchise, yeah, you got a Jason X out of that. But after part six, was there anything worthwhile at all? I haven't even seen gotcha. the first one yet, so I'm not sure. You've never seen the Friday the 13th? No, never. No, I've, the only one I've ever seen actually was Jason X. Jason X is surprisingly good, actually. I very much enjoyed it. It's okay. He just wants his machete back. There's a, there's a lot of great lines in that one. Jason was beating the uh, teenager in the the sleeping in the hologram. Bag the tree. Yes. Do you want to have premarital sex and smoke some pot? And I don't know if it counts, but I did see Freddy versus Jason. It doesn't count to anyone that matters. Okay. All right. That film I really liked a lot too. Jason, Freddy versus Jason is awesome. You're, uh, what's wrong with you? Um, Thank you. Thanks for the backup. The, yes, I'm right there with you. I, uh, I I don't know. I like Friday the 13th, 7 and 8, I, I still think are good. 7 I like because they actually uh, had Jason go toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody. And 8, I like the fact that they tried to take it out of Crystal Lake. But, you know, to Canada? Well, yeah. <laughs> you mean New York, Canada. <laughs> My thing with 7 was I thought it was a good idea that was not executed properly. I still thought it worked, but 
because but then nine they just went uh, off the rails with it and tried to reinvent the franchise we all know how that went for the most part i feel that the friday the 13th series is one of the few series that actually continued to be consistently entertaining the only misstep in my opinion i think was nine and that's because that's when paramount sold it to new line and new line decided that they wanted to try something in a completely different direction so that was kind of a misstep but it didn't completely derail and destroy the franchise i think that it all did, of them it did for are about good six years way. it did for a while but i mean it but what i'm saying is that when it came back with jason x it was so much fan service and it was good again. Like, like, whereas there are some franchises that once they start screwing up, they continue to screw up and they never recover. Then why do you think that happens? Why do you think once they do screw up, it's like a snowball effect that they just, for whatever reason, cannot right the ship, no matter what the franchise is. And I've got a bunch of examples we're going to bring up. Once you go down that hole, there's no climbing back out. Well, I want to hear what your examples are. Give me some others, because obviously I have no bearing when it comes to Friday the 13th. When it comes to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise or Halloween, I mean, occasionally I see bright spots when it comes to the later ones, but you know, it, nothing really bounces back fully. But what are some of the ones that you have in your mind? Hellraiser, for example. I think Hellraiser 1 is a great movie. Hellraiser 2 was a pretty damn good movie. Everything since Hellraiser 3 was actually worse and worse. It seemed like they were trying to make a worse film with each ensuing installment of the franchise. Well, I wonder if it's that law of diminishing returns kind of thing where we're going to be cutting the budgets for all of these films as we go along and still expecting them to make at least as much money as we did before and just kind of trying to cash in on the name, I imagine, as part of it. And then there are... are I think there are a lot of franchises that are very fortunate that they were books or series of, of very strong ideas beforehand. So something like the Harry Potter franchise where you're adapting a book each time you go out of the gate. You know, you can't necessarily screw it up too badly. I mean, there were a few missteps along the way, but you know, at least you can always go back to that core story. Whereas I don't think that these films necessarily too often have a narrative throughput. They're not looking at what's the fifth movie going to be. And also, I think that each time they go out, they don't know if this is going to be the last one or if they're even going to get made with this one. I mean, it's that whole story of like, you know, we're going to write Alien 3 and we might not have Ripley, so we need to write a version where the main character can switch from whoever it is to Ripley if she comes back or not. I think that um, a lot of times uh, it's just with each different movie, unless they plan ahead, like unless they're like, OK, we kind of see that this is going to be uh, a success. We, we know we want to put all our money behind it. Something like the Lord of the Rings movies where they shoot all three of them consecutively and they all so it all has the same cast, the same crew, the same director, everything. So there's that level of consistency with it. With a lot of movies, the first one will come out. And it'll be a breakout hit. And then they're like, oh, crap, we, we have a franchise on our hands. <laughs> where so do we then, go from here? <laughs> yeah, where do we go from here? Because a lot of them, you know, they're kind of written as one-offs. Now they have the habit of trying to leave every first movie on a cliffhanger. I don't know if that's then... a new thing, though, because l let's face it. How many horror movies that turned out to be one-offs have that 
what would now be the post credit sequence of the monster rising back up or the eye opening or whatnot. I don't think that's necessarily new. Okay, well, I let me rephrase that. I don't mean new, but I mean it's it happens a lot more often now, I feel. Bigger movies. Like there, you know, back then it was kind of a lot of smaller movies and like you said, a lot of slashers and whatnot where the hand comes out just at the last frame and then, you know, smash cut credits. But now you get a lot of times where they'll leave mid story, you know, and it's like to be continued. And then it never continues because the first movie flopped. What was that Vin Diesel one? Babylon AD? Babylon oh, Babylon. Something? Well, Babylon AD was also a production problem. The studio yeah. decided that the movie was too slow. So they cut 35 minutes of all that character development nonsense in there and all the stuff that explained what was going on so that they could get to the action faster. Yeah, the the original cut of that movie is significantly longer, and so they kind of shot themselves in the foot with that. But the other problem with a lot of these franchises, why they, they just start going downhill, one of the biggest things is making them kid-friendly. Oh, the police academies. The police Robocop academies, three. the Revenge of the Nerds, Robocop. The last two Revenge of the Nerds were Fox Night at the Movies. They were TV movies for Fox. Yeah, and, and the original Revenge of the Nerds movie was borderline hard R. I mean, it, it had was, Bush. It had Bush. It had Bush. And, yeah, and then to, to have that turn into something that, you know, you could very easily watch with your children and they wonder why – like nobody was watching it. It's because it's you sucked at all the humor and you completely changed everything that made these original movies. So the original movie, to a certain degree, the second movie was kind of funny. But even right out right then, it was like they went almost R and then PG-13 and a very soft PG-13 because Revenge of the Nerds, uh, Nerds in Paradise is I, I can't remember anything really particularly dirty in that movie. But to be fair, that movie was better than it had any right to be. Oh, that's the thing. It wasn't a bad movie. They actually still made a funny movie, but it doesn't hold a candle to the original. Like, if that would have been the first one, then it probably would look a lot better. But because the first one is so filthy and so funny that it's just like, oh, this is good, but it's not as good. So then do you think that that the franchise – right now, let's stick with big budget – they become a victim of their own success that yes, we made this relatively niche movie for a relatively honest sum. It made a ton of money. So the next one, we have to broaden the horizon, which means we have to take the humor level down, maybe the nudity level down. Are they really a victim of their own success? Um, I think they might be. I think there's a lot of them though, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, where they just don't necessarily know where to go uh, when it comes to that second film. I mean, I'm thinking of stuff like, uh, I, I don't care what people try to tell me, but I swear that the second and third Matrix movies were just kind of pulled out of someone's ass because they just don't have the same feel as that first film to me. No, or both of those absolutely feel like ass pulls. And then when you look at uh, like uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I mean, that was basically written from the leftovers of the story conferences from Raiders of the Lost Ark or what became Raiders of the Lost Ark. So in that one, there you go, talking about broadening it, broadening it out, even though it was very wrong-headed the way that they did it, but having the, the uh, short round sidekick and all this kind of stuff. And 
you know, all those kids there in India, even though they're slaves and everything, but still, you know, hey, here we go. Now it's much more kid-friendly. We have kids in this movie. Yeah, it just, I, I don't know why they feel that they have to make some of these changes, but yet they try to just kind of call back to, remember that thing that you liked in the first movie? Well, here's more of that. To, to go low budget right right now, I think when, like when we did the Scanners retrospective, we kind of hit on that accidentally. Like Scanners had one head explosion. So then Pierre David decided that's what people remember about Scanners. So Scanners 2 has got to have like five head explosions. And then Scanners 3 has got to have three or four more. And it was kind of one-upsmanship in a way, isn't it? I totally see that, yeah. Just whatever you liked in that first one. I mean, they even do that with staying on the Indiana Jones thing. There's that whole, like, oh, remember that part in the marketplace where he just shot the guy? Well, we're going to kind of do that again. Oh, he doesn't have his gun. But you remembered that from the first movie, right? Remember how good that was? And it's just like, don't remind me how good the first one was. There are so many sequels these days, especially when it comes to, like, the reboots and all this kind of horseshit, where it's like, oh, great, yeah, um, Brian Singer's Superman Returns. It's like, okay, you're going to ape all of this dialogue that I remember from the first Superman movie, and just pretty much remind me how much I like that movie and how much I hate your movie. It rings hollow. Oh, yeah. I, I think they're a victim of their own stupidity, because when you have a movie that comes out and it's a, an R-rated movie, very visceral and violent or or it has a lot of nudity or whatever is a key element to the film it comes out it's a breakout hit it does gangbusters at the box office and then they're like well we need to follow that up and we need to make it for a broader audience now but now you're taking the fundamentals of what made the first movie a success and altering that to reach a wider audience that now is not going to like this movie because you're changing too much of it. Like you're changing what made this thing a success in the first place. So it's like if they would just take the original movie and I don't want to say, you know, more of this, but take those elements and expand upon them and, you know, push the story forward, whatever that story may be, and give that to the audience. I think that, you know, maybe they might not have, you know, this billion dollar thing, but they might have a better level of consistency and a better return on investment instead of dumping $200 million into a PG-13 movie and then having audiences be disgusted with it and then having it bomb both critically and financially. But then look at something like Alien to Aliens. Aliens could not be more different than Alien was, and yet James Cameron was criticized for doing exactly what you said. What? Why didn't you stick with the tone of the first film? Yet that worked. Does that... Is that the exception that proves the rule? Is it just he had an exceptionally strong idea, that's why it worked? Now, the thing was, even though he did change it, like Alien was, you know, it was, at, for lack of a better term, it was a haunted house movie. You know, it was a bunch of monster closets in space. It was a scary horror film. And then Aliens was an action movie. It was a sci-fi action movie. So he took the concepts of the original and expanded upon them in a different direction. So he didn't he didn't water it down. He didn't take uh, this movie and all of a sudden uh, the aliens, you know, they're not murdering people as soon as they see them. Uh, he made them actually more vicious and it 
even though it is a sci-fi action film, there are some genuinely terrifying moments in that film. So it does still like it like you can watch Alien and Aliens back to back have a very good experience because it it does feel like a natural progression of the story as opposed to just a hackneyed uh you know we have to make a sequel because the first one was a success too many times it almost feels like rather than going back to the writer or the director when it comes to these sequels they're kind of taking it to the focus group and saying okay well what did you guys remember about the first film what did you like about it what can we do to make this more appealing to a mass audience kind of thing? And th- luckily there are filmmakers out there that just don't really give a shit when it comes to that. I mean, I think about like the crank films and the second one was even more balls out than the first one, you know, and I appreciated that. I didn't think that the second one could be crazier than the first one and they proved that it could. And things like you were talking about with aliens, it's like, okay, yeah, it was almost more like a fan of the first movie was writing the second movie. And those are the scripts that I really like when it comes to somebody who understands what made the first movie or whatever chapter it is great and can take that into a different direction. You know, you even think about things like Predators being you know, a predator film, but it comes at it from a a really different direction by making the humans the predators. And there's just a few of the the monsters in this case uh, on this other planet, bringing the people to them rather than the predators going out and hunting, uh, you know, on some other planet. I I really appreciated that. So it feels like there are a lot of times where the people that make the sequels just don't necessarily understand what made the first one or the second or the third or whatever great kind of are, are are really clueless. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's the filmmakers themselves, the ones that had that idea in the first place, just can't come through with that second or third part. Pierre David being an example from the Scanners movies. Right. Being Him, him well, being the only one who was involved in all five. Right, or I'm thinking again of the Wachowskis, or there are others where it's just like, how did you come to this conclusion? How did you make this movie? Didn't you see what what people liked or what was good about the first one? And there are certain filmmakers where, you know, it, the first film is pretty well wrapped up. But if there is an announcement of a sequel and the same filmmakers behind it, I have faith. Like thinking about something like uh, Pacific Rim. It's like, okay, yeah, the first movie is pretty well wrapped up. But I imagine that Guillermo del Toro, being very creative and imaginative, can come up with a second part to that, and it's going to just flow right into it or you know, come at it from a completely different angle and make you go, wow, that was really smart. Other filmmakers I don't necessarily have that same faith in. Are either of you familiar with the Angel franchise, the one from Roger Corman and the started in the 80s and moved into the 90s? Yeah, with the teen prostitute? Yes. You familiar yeah, with that one, Mike? I've seen at least the first one. Yeah, I've seen at least the first one. Okay, there were three Roger Corman movies, Angel, Avenging Angel, and Angel 3, The Final Chapter. Continuity-wise, they all followed one another. They were all made by New, New World Pictures, and they were Roger Corman produced. They were fine. Notice I said Angel 3, The Final Chapter. This is not like a Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter thing. Corman was done. Then he sold New World... And then for whatever reason, remember, that was in 1988. Whoever bought New World decided in 1994, six years later, 
Angel 4, Undercover, and it was made for Cinemax as like a Skinemax film. The director of it, R- Richard Shankman, prior to this had such amazingly high-end work as Playboy, Playmates in Paradise, video short, Playboy, International Playmates, Lusty Liaisons, Lusty Liaisons 2. You seeing a pattern here? Like, why? Why would you want to make another Angel movie when you clearly have no interest in it being an Angel movie? Uh, I think that uh, it was uh, a, a company who had got the rights to, you know, since they bought the company, they were like, all right, well, what do we have? And they're like, well, we've got uh, this angel. And they're like, well, you know, what can we do with that? What's that about? Oh, it's about a, you know, it, it, actually the first one, they, two and three were, I like all three of the original ones, but two and three were kind of silly. I actually one, thought three was the most serious of them all, but okay. Well, it's also been a while since I've seen three, but I mean, three was more of just straight up, or no, 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 two was the straight up revenge one. Cause that was, um, yeah, three was where to... she went from, from LA to New York to avenge her mom's death. Right. Cause two was avenging angel, right? Yeah. That's the one where her adopted father, who was the cop in the first one gets killed by drug dealers. So she mm. has to go back out on the street to use her connections to find him. And these are good films. You need to see these, Mike. You do. Avenging Angel had one of the best one-liners in it where she did the, you know, when you get to hell, tell him an angel sent you. Come on, Mike. It's a pretty good one-liner. It is. Let's make Angel 4 six years later because, this I mean, this wasn't even a popular franchise to begin with, really. Why, why do you think that Shankman would go, I want to make the fourth film that ignores everything in this franchise and is basically just a softcore movie? Gosh, I wish I knew. I mean, there there are some properties where you've got the name recognition and everything. I don't see angels being one of those, especially since it's like, you know, when you're talking about the angel films, I'm like, what, David Boreanaz? What is this? I, you know, it's not like it's recognizable series, you know, like, oh, my gosh. Oh, they made another one of those. I got to check this out. I, I'm not exactly sure why they would do that, but it, yet it still happens. And there are so many times where it's like, oh, well, this is a sequel to this movie that nobody really saw, and it, you know, and people can, and it takes forever to actually track down the film. I'm trying to think of a good example of one of those, but I know that those Road have, have happened. Yeah, the Road Warrior came out in America before Mad Max did, so. That's why they really watch the trailer. They don't sell it as a sequel to Mad Max in America. The American trailer and posters are, this is a standalone movie. Oh, and there might be another movie prequel later. But, you know, you, you'll get that down the line. Well, that really, for me, is one of those prequels or, sorry, sequels that really does a great job as far as let's take this in a completely different direction. I mean, Mad Max and The Road Warrior really couldn't be more different tonally. But then when you get to the third film, it feels very much like, oh, well, what do we do now? We don't know how we're going to continue this on. Well, I guess we'll, again, we'll add some kids to it and stuff. And that is one of the most confusing films for me, that whole idea of the gyro pilot, Bruce Spence, is in the third movie, but yet Max and him don't seem to recognize each other. And it's always like, well, don't you remember him? He was in that other film i mean there are sequels where you know it i just completely you know suspend all of the logic kind of stuff when it comes to like you know evil dead one and evil dead two like why is ash going to go back to this cabin and not remember anything from the first one 
that's absolutely fine. You know, El Mariachi and Desperado, same thing, you know. But then there are other ones where it's like, why is Danny Trejo continually coming back in these movies and nobody recognizes that they killed him in the last one, you know? So, because he's Machete, damn it. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about yeah, you want to talk about Machete don't sequence. die. That was one where people they just lost the plot. Was that Machete too? Is just like, oh my oh, god. Machete kills was terrible. And yes, I love Machete gonna, kills. I knew I knew you were gonna say that. Too. <laughs> I hated Machete kills. I want Machete in space or Machete kills in space. No, Machete kills again in space. That's it. Yes. I would be fine. I would give it a shot, but that second movie, man, it was just like, what were you thinking, Robert? What was all? What was that all about? He should have just called it exploitation movie. Okay, <laughs> what about carrying on a franchise well past its expiration date to the point where you're not even trying to connect it to the other films, like the Amityville movies? Amityville one, two, and three all take place in the same house and arguably the same continuity. By the time you get to, they stop numbering them after four, but six, seven, and eight, they're just Amityville, The Possession, and it's objects from the house are haunted. Oh, it's oh, a haunted gosh. lamp. It's a haunted clock. And you just start going, really? Why are you still making Amityville movies? Why were they still making these into the mid-90s? I think the last Amityville movie, not counting the remake, was like 96. Why? And That's one where I think maybe the title had a little bit to do with it. Or it could be that old story of you're going to make a monster movie anyway, or a haunted house movie in this case, or a haunted clock movie. We're just going to give it that name after the fact. I mean, you've got the script. Maybe you'll rewrite it a little bit to add that kind of thing. I mean, wasn't one of the Hellraiser movies, wasn't that the problem with one of those, where it started off as a different script and they kind of rewrote it? Uh, Yeah, Detter. They actually rewrote the movie, it was just a completely independent movie. The Cenobites had nothing to do with it about the reporter going to Prague or wherever it took place, investigating a cult. And then they just said, well, why don't we make them a Cenobite cult? Okay, now it's a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, or you know, something like uh, Die Hard 3. That was a completely different script, and then you just change a couple names. I mean, it would be easier to change a couple names in The Last Boy Scout and make that a diehard movie because that was much more in keeping with the tone in the first two films, whereas... I swear if I survive this case, I'm going to dance a fucking jig. Uh, yeah, exactly. In the third one, the the official third diehard film, which I don't think had a number at that point, which kind of drives me crazy as well, that one just didn't feel like a diehard film at all. I mean, the whole idea of we're going to break with Christmas, we're not going to have that, we're not even going to show the wife when she was so important to the other films, and now all of a sudden we're divorced. It's going to take place in New York, it's going to take place in the summer. And, okay, yeah, he's John McClane, this you know cop that we don't really see him being John McClane, and we'll call the villain... Um, you know, Gruber, because that tied in with the first movie, which again doesn't make sense because we don't think that, you know, the brothers would actually care for each other that much. So who gives a shit? But it's a diehard film, so that just raises the ticket price a little bit for everybody. Diehard 3 was originally supposed to be on a cruise ship, but then be Under two. Siege happened. Oh! And, and so they were like, Diehard oh. got Seagulled? Diehard got Seagulled. 
And so they ended up scrapping that completely because what it was going to be originally was him and Holly were on a second honeymoon and they were on a cruise ship. And then, like I said, Under Siege happened and it was too close. So they scrapped that all together and they decided to go with what ended up becoming Die Hard with a Vengeance. So and I actually really I dig Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think that's probably like my second favorite of the franchise well, as far as the Amityville movies, it's like you guys said, the name ended up being what was attached to it. So we're going to make ghost story movies, and they figured why not get the added recognition of tagging on you know, the Amityville horror. So if they would have put out, like I actually kind of dig uh, It's About Time, which I don't, I think that might have been the fourth or fifth one. That was no, the one about the clock. The, the, the fourth one was a new generation, I think. A new generation, okay. And, so and maybe then there was five. the haunted lamp, the haunted clock, and then there was one more that was a Fox TV movie. Okay, well, I, that. The... I can't remember what the haunted object in that one was, though. But I, I dig the clock one. Thing was, it's like if, if you're, uh, you know, the general movie going audience and you're going into a, a video store back then. At uh, that and... point, they were all direct to video after three, yeah. So that's what I'm yeah. saying. You're going to a video store and, you know, you see a box on a wall that says uh, it's about time or something. Or you see Amityville Horror 7 and it's like or Amityville Horror. It's about time. And it has that automatic name recognition where you're just like, oh, well, this, you know, you, you know what it is. So that's a case of just simply they're go like that's not the series going downhill. That's just kind of the series more or less already ended with three. They're just kind of keeping the name going for the sake of easy sales. Two things. One, you, that's what kind of what happened with Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. That was made as a completely independent film, but it was owned by IVE. I think they were still live, L-I-V-E at that point. And it was just a horror movie that took place at Christmas. So they said, we own the Silent Night, Deadly Night name. Now it's Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Because say what you will about 1, 2, and 3... They at least have the same characters in them, ostensibly, to the point where you could say these are a linked continuity. Then 4 comes in and you go, the hell did that have to do with Silent Night, Deadly Night? And then 5, I would say that, but there is one specific line of dialogue that references the first film. So I'm kind of going, well, this one might have been made as an actual Silent Night, Deadly Night movie. I'm not sure. The uh, yeah, the Silent Night, Deadly Night series, uh, it, it's just like you said, they uh, they they kind of kept it together and then they just kept the name and they were going on with that because wasn't what was it five or six? That was the toy maker five. There's it, only five unless okay. you count the not unless you count the remake, unless you count Silent Night. Yeah, the um, yeah, five where it was like the toy maker and he's ma- Mickey and Rooney, before, Mickey Rooney and they. Yeah, they went completely off the rails and they were just tagging the name to these standalone, more or less, stories because they knew that it would sell. And the thing is, it works because honestly, how many people would know about a lot of these movies if they were not tagged under a pre existing franchise? There's that, but oh. then when you do have longer running franchises, usually going from theatrical into video, they stopped numbering them after a while because in the 80s we started to notice sequelitis. The higher the numbers went, 
the lower the quality went. That's why Amityville are only numbered one through four. The Alien movies are only numbered one through three. The Children of the Corn movies even stopped being numbered after a while, and they just started being like Children of the Corn, Sons of the Sacrificers thing, you know, the final sacrifice or whatnot. Do you think that even they were kind of playing into their own destruction by they knew sequelitis was a thing, but they kept it up anyway? Yeah, I'm not sure what this whole phenomenon of we'll name the sequel something else, um, it, it really just bothers me because after a while it's like it helps me to have the numbers on there to kind of keep track. Like we were talking the other day as far as uh, how many Star Treks there are, and it's like, okay, well, what are they up to really? Like 13? I mean, because I, it's much easier for me to remember the numbers than to remember – even which came first, you know, it's like, well, was insurrection before first contact? No, it was afterwards. So it just, I don't know. It bothers me. I'm okay with things like um, the James Bond films where you've, you have one character and they're moving through all these different things. And at least they're not calling it like, you know, James Bond quantum of solace, you know, it just is, that's the, the title is quantum of solace. Okay. And it doesn't necessarily matter what order they're in because they are kind of more standalone. There are very few that actually seem to follow from one to another. But yeah, I don't know what this whole thing is as far as the refusal to number. And it it really kind of uh, bugs me. Even when it came to, speaking of Star Trek, the whole reboot of Star Trek and then Star Trek Into Darkness. And it's just like... No, quit doing that. You know, and don't. And do in it. that one, there's not there's not even a colon. Right. You no, know, it's I not know. Star Trek into darkness. It's Star Trek into darkness. As a writer, that drove me nuts. Oh yeah. Children of the Corn. They actually stopped numbering them at six, so they could get out the Children of the Corn six six six, and then seven was when they started going into. So it was Children of the Corn Revelation, and then Children of the Corn Genesis. And then they have the remake too. Oh, so there's technically nine of those? Well, I think uh, was – no, no, no. Uh, Genesis was Or was the, Genesis the remake? Genesis was the remake. Okay, so there's technically eight. There's still so there's more eight. than there should be. And it really bothers me when they just jump – like you, you've got, what, six of these things? And then all of a sudden, like on the seventh one, we'll jump? I mean, it's like the whole – you know, we've got five Rocky films and then Rocky Balboa. It's like, oh, for God's The Rambos sake. are the same way. You have Rambo. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, technically not even because you have First, First Blood. Blood. Then you have Rambo First Blood Part 2, which is weird. Then you have Rambo 3, which shouldn't that technically be Rambo 2 First Blood Part 3? And then you just have Rambo. And then what is the next one going to be? John Rambo, the one where he fights werewolves that they're making? It's – ah! Well, uh, what I was going to say about the Children of the Corns was at least that's one where, granted, they went on way longer than it should have, but there is a consistency to it. It's always about kid cults, and there's always an element of corn in there. (laughs) So they uh, they didn't veer out of that range. They always kind of stuck close to the roots. You know, quality uh, of them is all over the place, but... And hey, you know, Naomi Watts got her start in, uh, I think it was three, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, Urban Harvest. So give credit for that. But as far as uh, the movies where they're taking the, the name and they're dropping the number, it's simply because, like you said, with uh, it makes it look 
bad when you're up to Friday the 13th part nine. They're, oh God, there's how many of these? But what I don't understand is people in general don't, like if they're already fans of the series, if if the series has been consistently good, like who cares how many of them are there are? I mean, if you look at TV shows, TV shows have been going on for years and years and years and years, and they break them down by season. So it's like, uh, all right, well, this... No, to, to go to TV, look at what happened with Tales from the Dark Side to Monsters. The way, the way it was, the way George Romero and Richard Rubenstein put it was, Monsters seasons one, two, and three were essentially Dark Side seasons five, six, and seven. The thing was, when you're trying to sell TV, the ad buyers are always looking for what's new. So the fifth season of Tales from the Dark Side was harder to sell advertising for than the first season of Monsters. So we just canceled Dark Side. It's now Monsters. It's basically the exact same show, same production crew, same production company, but it's easier to restart. Do you think that might even play into why we have so many remakes? Yeah, it might. I mean, I, the saddest thing for me about some of these remakes and reboots and, and everything is this whole idea that you were talking about with the Angel series as far as, okay, um, when a new company gets their hands on this property, they either need to make a movie in order to keep that property and keep that copyright kind of thing like they did with the Spider-Man films uh, just recently, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man or you know we're going to take this uh, property that's been around a lot for a long time, and now that we own it, we're basically going to abuse it and do whatever we want to do with it. We're going to make it our bitch, basically, and that's just painful to see. Sometimes it's like, why are you doing this? Well, because we can. It basically is what it comes down to for a lot of it. It's like, okay, so I, I imagine that reboots and remakes and everything are. Um, an easy way to cash in on that first film as well. You've got the name built in. You've even got the story re- you know, written for you. Uh, just depends on how much rewriting you want to do or you want to go into a completely different direction with it, um, which generally doesn't happen. And if it does, it's usually a bad thing. Uh, I'll look at the recent RoboCop for an example of that. I, I think it's it's funny when... Uh, a studio will go and they want to do a reboot because they want to take a franchise uh, that's something that's been going on for a little while and they want to uh, update it and make it for a new audience. And the majority of the time, that's exactly what they don't do. Like with the, the recent Carrie movie, Carrie had already had uh, a couple of sequels and spinoffs and whatnot that, uh, you know, over the years. And they said, OK, we want to take the story of Carrie, make it more accurate to the book and, uh, you know, update it for current audiences. And all they did was make the movie take place now and use almost the exact same story of the first uh, movie. And it's it's like, why why wouldn't you change something? Why wouldn't you, if you're going to go through all the trouble of doing that uh, and you want to update it for a modern audience, why would you just do the same thing again, only make it you know now instead of the 70s? And, and, and see, that that's kind of, I recently read an article that was very intelligent about why the RoboCop reboot didn't work. They basically said, who was this movie made for? It turned out that the majority of the ticket sales were to people over 30. 
So you made this movie and PG-13'd it for a younger audience who didn't care. So at that point, you should have just made a fourth RoboCop instead of a reboot. I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I don't necessarily see why it had to be a, a reboot in that case. And they didn't do enough original things in it to really kind of branch away from the story. And the things that they added to it just kind of made it weaker. So I, I don't know why they didn't just say, you know, okay, this is RoboCop 4. And it can be completely different. And there can be some parts that call back to the first film. You know, if we've got a new generation of RoboCop. You know, we're going to restart the program. So this guy is going to have a lot of similar problems to what Alex Murphy had before. But this is another guy. He's not Alex Murphy. But no, they couldn't go there. I, I don't understand the logic sometimes. There are very few good decisions that I see around sequels and rebates, remakes. Rebates, where you get your money back. Exactly. Don't we wish we had rebate rebate programs at the theaters? Yeah, I have not seen it. I do have uh, friends who have seen it and have told me enough about it. So I hate to be the, you know, well, I, I heard about it. But, I mean, from what I've gathered... It does seem like they went in, and the thing that I was crowing about when they first announced that they were officially going to do this, it seemed like all the producers saw was that the RoboCop franchise was very well loved uh, at one point, and it's been a long time since then, and it's a movie about a cop who's a robot. Go back and look at the production history. They kept bouncing around. First it was RoboCop 4, then it was a reboot, then it was a sequel, then it was a reboot, then it was a sequel, then it was a reboot. Look at the look at the late 90s to early 2000s. It kept bouncing between sequel reboot, sequel reboot, sequel reboot to the point where they the the studio seemed so confused. You knew at that point this was never going to work. Gosh, I would have uh, yeah. loved to have seen what Aronofsky did with this. Would have been interesting. Yeah. It it would probably would have been better than what we ended up getting. It's it's just they they got to a point like you said where they weren't even sure what they what they wanted to do. They just finally decided, well, we've been bouncing back and forth with this for so long. Let's just make something. And then that's what they ended up making. They ended up making something. They ended up making a movie that didn't appeal to the fans of the original, and it didn't bring in that new audience that they crave so much that they're always dropping movies down to PG-13 Cause it to try like, to like bring I them said, in. From, what I, from the stats I've read, 44% of ticket buyers, which might be, might be less than half, but that's still a relatively high number, were over the age of 30. That means you made this movie for the wrong audience. The thing that really got me with RoboCop, the, the reboot or remake or whatever you want to call it, is that they actually had some interesting things that were in this movie that weren't in the first movie. There's this whole idea of um, who is in control. Is it the robotics or is it the man inside of the suit? And they start to talk about that, and man, they drop it like a hot potato. And it's just like that could have been the story of the movie as far as who is in control of this suit and who has you know, the, the the reaction times and all this kind of stuff. And 
can this guy kind of regain his humanity, even though he's very little human left inside of this thing? They just, yeah, no, well, we'll just go with this other thing instead. And it was like, okay, well, that was the most interesting part of the film, and you're just going to kind of brush it under the, the carpet. Character development is boring, Mike. Oh, God, yeah. Mike White and I did somewhat of a howling series retrospective on the projection booth. We didn't really focus on the sequels all that much, but we talked about them a little bit. I think The Howling is the ultimate failed franchise. Incredible first movie, and not a one that could even come close to it. I enjoyed the third, but it wasn't anywhere near the level of quality. I think The Howling is a perfect example of when a franchise goes bad almost immediately. Yeah, I think The Howling franchise, it started off incredibly strong, and then immediately went right into the toilet with two. And then the later rose ones... Rose a little bit with three, which was actually kind of original. Yeah, it rose a little bit with three, and then uh, there was... Because three was... Was three the exploitation one? Yes. yes. Was that the... Yeah, that was the marsupials. Yeah. So that was... Yeah, that that took it up way you know higher than you know two could ever have aspired to be but and then some of the other ones uh they were good and bad i didn't uh i i didn't dislike any i mean two two i don't particularly care for two is but fun I, in the wrong way right. right yeah two is yeah two is like fun bad but uh so i don't hate it it's just that it's what when one is just so good and then two is just they really did drop the ball but then the later ones are are cool uh i will say uh, a franchise that i think dropped the ball immediately is the pirates of the caribbean movies Oof, i thought the first yeah. one that's actually on my list so is it oh, yeah let's okay, talk so howling first then we'll go then we'll go to that okay. one yeah, i really don't have much to add other than what we talked about on the the, the projection booth download I mean, the projection booth episode damn it <laughs> luckily i've i've been able to block most of those <laughs> from my head even seven even seven yeah i mean well five six and seven all kind of ran together for me for me that one was really such an example of the horrible reboot uh phenomenon that we have again and you know we were talking a little bit earlier as far as the whole idea of you know sequel in name only you know originally it was a script for something else i mean you pointed out in that episode of just how Howling 2 was so much a vampire movie that they just flipped into werewolves. Yeah, for those that don't know, according to the Howling 2, werewolves hail from Transylvania. They can only be killed with a stake through the heart. They don't like sunlight. They can possess they can possess people by staring directly into their eyes. This was a vampire movie. <laughs> yeah. But the reason I'm talking about the Howling, Mike, is look at that Howling Reborn. For whatever oh, reason, let's see, Howling 7 was 94. Five, I think. So Howling Reborn waits 10, 12 years and says, hey, no one has liked any of these films since 1980. Let's make a sequel that's an in-name-only sequel to this film, to this franchise that hasn't been active for 12 years. Just what is the thought process behind something like that? Gosh, I wish I knew, man. I mean, that just seems to be the question that we keep coming back to is, why? Why is this the way that it is? And I don't think there are any good answers other than money. You know, people just trying to cash in on stuff and cash in on the most bizarro properties. It's like, whoever thought that there would be a Highlander franchise? I mean, the first movie was pretty darn successful when it came to video, but those. It was pretty next... darn closed off, too. 
oh yeah, there was an end there. And who the hell? I mean, you know, I talked about Guillermo del Toro coming up with the sequel for Pacific Rim. I don't think I think he would look at that first movie and just be like, I give up. See, to me, Highlander should not have had sequels. Could have had prequels no. though, but it could have had prequels that took place even in 1982 or the 70s. I would love to see a Highlander movie made in the 90s set against 70s 42nd Street. You tell me that wouldn't have been goddamn awesome. That would have been fine, and, and it might have helped if they weren't from another planet. No, no, nobody keeps Highlander 2 in continuity. Cecil, back me up. Yeah, they're all over the place with those. I, I don't, uh, I, the, the thing with, with Highlander and them doing sequels was basically because prequels, I mean, there were prequels, but prequels weren't really a thing yet. Like now, prequels are a dime a dozen. But back when they when they first popped Highlander two out, there wasn't even that notion where uh, you know, oh well, this series ended definitively here, so let's just do a prequel. You know, it was back then where it was just like, uh, well, it ended, but we have to figure something out, and we'll make you know the sequel. And then they just made the most ludicrous sequel that they possibly could with uh, the quickening. I don't want to go too deep into Highlander because we're going to do a whole retrospective on that in probably a month. Jowski's got to watch the rest of the damn movies. Highlander 2 really killed him, Mike. He doesn't want to continue. <laughs> Cecil and I are making him move forward on this. Yeah, we're doing well, we like can... those, uh, like those, those inform the things where it gets better, like the bullying PSAs. Yeah, but no, then really, it gets it worse. Gets better. But then it gets uh, worse again. But you well, know what though? It never. It. Oh wait, wait. The very. The source. The source, yeah. I don't know. I would. Uh, I'd have. I gotta go back and watch two and the source to figure out which one's worse. You're gonna have to do that before the retrospective. But then I will. But then let's go back to what you brought up with the pirates. I think the pirates ties into Highlander because Pirates of the Caribbean, just the the Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, or Curse of the Black Pearl. Sorry, it was a pretty one-off movie. Yes, yeah. you could have further adventures with these characters, but the story was over, unless you count the, the post-credit thing of the monkey stealing one more thing of gold, but screw that. The story was over. And then 2 and 3, I remember at the time these came out, one of the producers, probably with a swelled head, said, these are the Star Wars movies for a new generation. That was the point I knew, these are not going to go well. They, they're not. Yeah, I, I that they had to. I mean, just the way that they shoehorned that whole thing of the uh, the Orlando Bloom, his father, and the history, and all all of this stuff having to like lead back to this origin and all this. I mean, oh my God, who cares? And that they just kept getting more and more complicated. I mean, I've seen Russian sci-fi films that are much less complicated than these Pirates of the Caribbean films. And I'm like, this is supposed to be turn off your brain and have fun entertainment. And I'm sitting here like midway through the second film going, what the hell is happening in this yeah, movie? There, there's way even... too much plot in two and three oh, that keep getting God. in the way of the story. Yeah. When the ship was like upside down and stuff, I'm like, and it's not even in a good way. It's not like a Terry Gilliam kind of like, okay, this is a very surreal moment. It was just like a, what the hell is happening right now? Why, why are we doing this? Wasn't expecting the first one to be good at all. I don't think anybody really oh, was. Oh, neither was I. But, the first one was shockingly good. 
Yeah. yeah, I I went in like, oh god, I'll watch this movie. And at the end, I was like, that was so much fun. And then they announced they were doing a sequel. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, because I thought the first one it did have a very definitive ending. But I'm like, ah, you know, I could see further adventures of these guys, and it would be cool. And then they made these convoluted. And they were yeah. overlong. Uh, they were close. If I'm not mistaken, they were each uh, two and three were both close to three hours of pop. They were boring because there was so much redundancies and stuff that didn't need to be there. And uh, I, I hated to. I actually turned to off the first time I started watching it. I got about halfway through it and I turned it off. And then uh, like a day later, I went back and watched the rest of it. And I was uh, just because I, I have a weird thing with closure. I'm like, uh, however bad this is, I at least need to see it through. If you're getting raped, you at least want them to finish, right? right yeah. You know, what? we might as well you know, go all the way here. We're already in this predicament. Two was just so abysmal. And then uh, I watched three begrudgingly and i refuse to watch four because i'm i'm like i don't i don't care infuriating and then there were people that were defending these like oh this is the new star wars and these are so good and they're action-packed and i'm like yeah the the first one just but two and three and i i don't even know about four i just i no not gonna do it well we got to wrap up but i also wanted to quick rattle off there are some franchises that went on way longer than people thought they did. Like, Mike, when we did the Scanners retrospective, your first question to me was, how many of those are there? Yeah, uh, it's surprising. And what's the one that you you want to cover on your show sometime? The, the Witchboard or Witchcraft or... Watchers. Watchers? Okay. Yes, the, the Watchers. There are four of those. I bet most people don't even know that there's one. There's... Isn't there a, like a 13-part series out Witchcraft. there? Witchcraft, thank you. They're, they're making a new one. They're making part 14. Oh, God. There are six Leprechaun movies. Oh, yeah. There are six Trancers movies and the threat of a seventh one. Where can we find Cecil T? You can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. Where can we find Mike looks like a bookie from a 70s gangster flick white? I am also over at geekjuicemedia.com, or you can find me at projection-booth.com. And you can find me, geekjuicemedia.com, as well as 1201beyond.com, and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And who knows? There, there are some people that might think this franchise has gone on way longer than it has any right to.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.